All right, welcome everybody to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation racer Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. So, Steve, welcome back again to this. It's episode three. We're finally going to get into a race preview. We did a season preview in the last episode, race preview, Daytona 500 preview today. It's time. It's go time. It's time. And we're, we're coming off an exciting week. Speed Week's kicked off this week at Daytona International Speedway. And if uh, you're a fan of Ryan Blaney, it was an up and down day for the, the Bush Clash uh, that was down there on the road course at Daytona. It was an exciting race, a great race by the number 12 team. Uh, just didn't exactly finish out the way that uh, Blaney fans really wanted to see. Well, first, it started off with a great uh, qualifying run. Actually, no, it wasn't a qualifying run. Uh, Jason uh, uh, Ryan Spotter said that to uh, Todd Gordon because Todd actually pulled the uh, the number one pill there, or however they did the draw. So yeah, they started off on the pole and uh, ran really strong uh, early on that race, uh, except for being passed by uh, Hamlin early on. But for the most part, uh, they were pretty good. Yeah, honestly, the thing, the big takeaway for me was. He did start on the pole, kind of went out to a lead for a little bit. Hamlin did catch him, but after about five or six laps, Ryan started to gain on him again, and then that's when some other things happened throughout the race. There were some more cautions, pit stops, um, everything kind of cycled through all the way to eventually, by the end of the thing, Ryan, after a couple restarts and a, another uh, stop for tires, Ryan cycles back into the lead of this race. Yeah, a couple of good things that happened. First off, there was a competition caution um, or, you know, just a caution. And when that caution came, it wasn't set up like the uh, the cautions are set up during a regular race. Uh, they don't close the pits. So you could pit right before that caution. So what, and what they did with Ryan is they pitted, they took four tires. They weren't allowed to take fuel until the caution actually happened. So they took the four tires, came back around. The caution is called. They come back around. They come in just for the fuel. They gain 14 spots on pit road. So right off the bat, their strategy, it was played out perfectly. It put him right back up there where he needed to be with fresh tires. It made moves on a couple of the restarts that were awesome. And then it comes down to that caution with six laps to go. And the caution was six laps to go. Once again, what do we do? You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Well, they came in. They decided, you know what, let's get tires. Ryan finds out after the fact that they actually had a set of sticker tires that he didn't even realize they still had. And he said he was pretty happy about that on the radio. And uh, sure enough, even though they were going out seventh on that restart, um, they were the first car with fresh tires in that seventh position. And by, what, three laps later, he was right behind Chase. And then the rest is, you know, is the rest. But uh, he kind of ran out of equipment, basically, because passing Chase was hard to do. And once he did make that pass on Chase, he had used up his brakes a little bit. And uh, it made that last lap kind of difficult. And from what I understand, hearing some people talk about Kyle Busch on the radio during those that last cycle of pit stops, he, did, he didn't understand how Ryan had a fresh set of tires. And, I, and he was on his radio talking to his spotter and crew chief saying, how did Blaney still have tires? Did he have tires? And they're explaining to him that it was a strategy move and that he didn't pit. And they said he just called it 
genius. <laughs> so, Todd Gordon, <laughs> uh, great move there. Kyle Busch thinks you're a genius. Yeah. Yes. Well, like I said, uh, we, you know, you're looking at these little strategy things, and and right away there's something there. And in two weeks they're going to be about well, a week and a half back there on that road course. So there's something there that they can build on. Even though the finish didn't go the way we'd like it to have gone, they've got something they can deal with now that's going to help them hopefully finish in front of Chase uh, in a week and a half. So speaking of the finish. Essentially, after that last restart, and Ryan was the first guy with fresh tires to pass up into the top five, and then he slowly picked his way off, and Chase was kind of out to a pretty decent lead, but Ryan tracked him down, passed him clean, just making a note of that, and uh, went off to a lead of his own, but... I will have to say, after watching uh, several replays of it and you hearing Ryan talk about it after the race, he made a few mistakes of his own uh, trying to hold Chase off, and he says he would uh, like to get that back, uh, some of the decisions that he made, and then obviously Steve, when they were on the white flag lap and going through that last chicane on the front straight, things didn't work out. What's going to be fun in years to come is if they keep racing the, the Daytona road course and then, of course, the Roval they both have that little chicane right there before you come across the start finish line. And if that situation happens, the more often it happens, you're going to see guys get up underneath each other and try that because you have nothing to lose. If you're in second place and you can get inside of that guy or outside that guy or wherever you need to be, you have to make the move. You can't just sit behind him and say, Oh, he did a good job and a wave. He's you got to get there. And if you can get there. So the more often there's a close race at these two uh, tracks, the more often you're going to see that happen. Yeah. So again, going into that chicane, Chase is able to catch up back to Ryan. They kind of go in side by side from our Blaney fan biased point of view. Chase kind of punts him into the door in the middle of the chicane. Ryan spins, crashes into the wall. Chase keeps on going and the unfortunate part about all of this is he doesn't win the race. Yeah, that was the interesting thing in the comments afterward that made the most sense. If you're going to make that move, at least you should win the race. So when you make that move and you don't win the race, that's where you might be a little bit mad. So just make a mental note of it. Think about it later in the year, someplace like Martinsville at the end of the year. Things like that start to come back to haunt you. And refresh my memory, if you remember, it's not the first time Chase has accidentally taken somebody out uh, going for the lead in a race. I'm pretty sure uh, it was him and Joey Logano. And yeah. was that at Martinsville? It was at Martinsville. Yeah. And uh, teammate Brad Keselowski was able to scoot through and get the victory there. So this is kind of the second time, maybe more, where Chase has made some contact in the, the last few laps and didn't end up winning the race. But I think he even said in his post-race comments that, you know, if he's a driver and he doesn't try his best to win a race in the last lap, then he's not doing his job and or he doesn't sugarcoat it. So and that's kind of how he's been. But again, they're friends. They talked after on pit road. I was saying it, we were talking about them having masks on for so we really don't know uh, what their facial expressions were like but they weren't exactly palling around they were just kind of giving their sides of their story and as we said ryan said afterward that wasn't happy but they weren't gonna fight yeah you just make a note of it you chalk it up and you know thankfully it wasn't a points race but uh, it's something to look forward to in the future, too. If he sees the nine car, he might race him a little differently uh, next time. And that's good. You know, maybe you have to. So moving on now from that race, the Bush Clash, we went into Daytona 500 qualifying. And I don't think either of us were expecting Ryan to sit on the pole for this one. No, they, uh, they pretty much have the car trimmed out to, to race. They really weren't worried about trying to get a pole. They did... Um, 
I think uh, he was the top Penske car, although DiBedetto was like maybe a spot or two ahead of him. So all the Penske cars and DiBedetto were all right there within about five or six spots of each other. So they really didn't do anything with their cars except worry about the setup or the duels. You're right. Matt DiBenedetto did set a time of 17th quickest. Ryan followed that. In 18th, Joey Logano was 21st. And going down to Brad Keselowski, he was 26th. And we do have to add, I guess, add Austin Citric into this mix again. A fourth team Penske car qualified 19th. So all around in that same area, all the team Penske cars, including uh, Matty Benedetto and the Wood Brothers, kind of qualified in that same kind of spot. So it shows you the cars seem to be pretty equal. They're they're ready to race. Um, it was surprising to me. I thought they might do a little something extra for Cindric just to make sure that his speed's a little better. But uh, as we find out uh, on the duels, that uh, it actually worked out for him. And of the Ford camp, Eric Almarola qualified third and he's a pretty good super speedway racer himself and i think that car's been fast in the past so it might just be his team uh, has a way to trim that ford out where he's a little bit quicker than the others uh, but i think the the team penske guys will end up pretty working pretty well together during the 500 on sunday so we're moving on again from qualifying over to thursday night the blue green vacations duels one and two um Duel number one was pretty action-packed. At some points, uh, they were a little bit strung out. Other points, I think I mentioned to you during the race, like, these guys need to calm down. It was kind of scaring me a little bit. I just don't want to see everybody wad up all of their, their race cars. But luckily, that's not something that happened. It was nice at the end that they got three wide, but nobody was like in danger of banging anybody into a wall or anything. They got three wide and tried to make, just make their way up. And uh, yeah, it was pretty nice. Uh, Good finish. Yeah. The good news is that the Ford drivers worked pretty well together throughout that duel. And pretty much for half that duel, Joey Logano and Eric Almirola were up front and they ended up trading the lead in the last lap all the way until Eric Almirola wins the race. So that impressed me a little bit. We just talked about Austin Sindrick as the fourth team Penske car for the Daytona 500. He didn't have a great duel. No, it didn't. Um, and uh, and the, this goes back to the, just years of watching the uh, the, the timing uh, situation where getting in a couple cars get in on time ahead of time. And Ryan Priest ended up finishing as the top guy um, of the cars that needed to qualify on time. And, and he had the highest speed too or I'm sorry, he was one of the two highest speeds going into it. So by qualifying as the top guy in the race, it goes down to the next fastest guy on speed of the bunch. And Austin Cindric actually ended up being that guy. So he gets in in the most backhanded way, but he does get in. So Yeah, and unfortunately for Ty Dillon, who ran a very great dual number one race, he uh, didn't didn't make it in. He, he finished ahead of Austin Cindric, but as you said, everything fell back onto qualifying speed, and Austin Cindric is going to be in the Daytona 500. Moving on from there, we go into blue-green vacation dual number two. Uh, Ryan Blaney. Steve, where did he start? Oh, the, um, well, let's see. It's 18, so 18 divided by two. <laughs> <laughs> so Let's do ends the up, math. It, it ends up being ends up being ninth, yeah. So it starts out ninth. And unfortunately, this dual race, we got done finished with dual number one, and then the skies opened up down here in Florida. Um, I've been talking to you all week. We're heading to Daytona this weekend, trying to catch some of the races, but rain once again in the forecast. Rain delays dual number two. But thankfully, the skies did eventually clear, and the track drying efforts were successful. And racing got back underway in dual number two just before 11:30 p.m. Eastern time. As I described it to Steve during the race, as we were watching it, Ryan kind of quietly made his way up into the top five and hung around there for most of this duel. 
He did get hung out to dry a couple of times, went to the back of the pack, but raced his way back up through again. And this race was marred by a couple of cautions, including a crash that involved Team Penske driver Brad Keselowski. It wasn't uh, catastrophic, but there's still a chance he might end up going to a backup car. The side of his car is a little bit beaten, banged up. In that same accident, Ryan had to kind of evade the crash that was going on around him. He skidded down into the toward the infield, but just barely missed the grass. So I think that number 12 Ford Mustang will still be okay to go for the Daytona 500. After things got back started again, there was a pretty exciting finish between Bubba Wallace and Austin Dillon, who came out on top, and Ryan ended up bringing it home in the sixth place position. So that puts that number 12 car into the 14th place spot for the Daytona 500. But William Byron and also his teammate Alex Bowman have had some issues. Byron was involved in a crash and Bowman had some engine trouble. So there's still a chance that Ryan will end up moving up a row if those two do indeed fall to the back uh, before the race. Now, Steve, what do you think your expectations were or what was Team Penske's expectations for this dual race out of Ryan Blaney? Just keep everything um, in one piece, you know, run the, run the, run a race, but keep everything in one piece, get it ready for Sunday. Cause I think that's all they're really worried about now is now they have Austin in the race and just keep all the Penske cars in one piece so that they don't have to do anything major to them over the weekend. Now, thankfully, as I said, seems like Ryan came out of that race mostly unscathed, but we'll still have to wait and see about Brad Keselowski. Ryan Blaney weekend preview Daytona International Speedway. So, Steve, now we're down to the big show. We've been waiting all weekend long to get ready for this. The Daytona 500, the kickoff race of the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season. And as we talked about in our previous episode, that was a total season preview of Ryan Blaney. Ryan's a pretty good super speedway racer. Yeah, he uh, he, he ends up at Daytona the last couple of years, especially the 500, right up there at the front. Um, even made a couple bucks a couple years ago. My wife, my wife pulled that up online for me tonight. I forgot all about it. The, there was a $5 bill stuck to the grill during one of the runs and they pulled it off uh, when he come into pit the one time. So, you know, he's making money in all different ways at the track. Yeah. It seems like, like you said, the last few years, that number 12 team Penske car ends up toward the front of the race, especially during the Daytona 500 at Daytona itself. Ryan has four top tens and two top five finishes those two top five, those are runner-up finishes in the Great American Race. Yep, him and Denny. <laughs> Hopefully, it comes down to him and Denny, and this time he gets him. Twelve is one better than eleven, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in this past Daytona 500, obviously ended with a little bit of an uneasy feeling after the crash with Ryan Newman. Um, Ryan Blaney obviously came across in second place. The previous time that Ryan uh, ran second in the Daytona 500, it was pushing Kurt Busch to victory in that race and at the time Kurt was a fellow Ford driver impressive runs there obviously Ryan has two victories on super speedways but they're over at Talladega what do you think can transfer over from his prowess at Talladega to the race here in Daytona I think it's just a matter of finishing the deal now I mean at Daytona he's led a ton of laps the last couple of years so you know just do what they do get out front run with some good people control the control the uh, the runs coming at you and uh, be at the in the front at the end, you know, that's that's all he's got to do, and I think he can do it. Now, the last few races on super speedways, there's been very strict divisions between the manufacturers. There was a couple of races ago on a super speedway where Chevrolet and Toyota kind of made this backroom deal where they were going to work together and people didn't re really know it. After that, I think Team Chevy kind of 
uh, stopped that from happening. I think it was Hendrick and Ganassi that was working together with the Joe Gibbs cars. So since then, I think they even mentioned it during the broadcast for the duels that all the manufacturers met with the drivers again to give them marching orders for the Daytona 500. So the races since then, Ford camp sticks together for sure. The Chevrolet camp sticks together for sure. If you're at the races or you're watching on TV, these guys all even pit together. And sometimes the between manufacturers, different strategies are going on. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they get to a point in the race, if there's some green flag pitting where you'll see a line out there of, of Fords and they're 15 seconds ahead of the line of the Chevys, you know, and, you know, 10 seconds, you know, just three separate little packs out there, basically. And then, you know, sooner or later, they end up collapsing and ending up uh, on top of each other. But it'd be kind of needed to see them kind of get spread out like that and see whose pack would be the strongest pack of the bunch. I think it'd be the Fords, but that's just me. And I have to say, when you're there in person at Daytona watching the race, yes, seeing the the pack of cars go around, people juking and jiving throughout the field, making kind of crazy moves and getting making it to the front is exciting and everything. But when they do split off onto those pit stops and they do end up with two kind of separate trains at different ends of the track, it is kind of fun watching that second train catch up and see how long it exactly takes and how they if they can stay in formation, it happens a lot faster. And then eventually one of them speeds up through and then it's right back into the Hornet's nest again. So if you're not familiar with super speedway racing or seeing it in person, it's really great to see it where you can see the whole track. You can't always see that on TV. Uh, They try their best to cover it, but I think that part is about just exciting as the rest. So we talk about Fords working together, specifically the team Penske drivers all work together. In this case, we have Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Austin Sidrick, Matt Benedetto, all within that fold that can work together on Sunday. And we've talked um, before and talked among ourselves about how they work together. And usually for a decent chunk of the race, they'll stay together for a while. But once it gets down into those late stages, sometimes it's a little bit uh, everyone for themselves. And they're not always just going and working with a Toyota or a Chevrolet or something. Sometimes it's with other Ford teammates. But sometimes those guys can get split apart, and I think part of it is just that Brad, Joey, and Ryan are both, or all three of them, are very aggressive super speedway drivers. And I think we even heard Matt Benedetto ahead of the duels, uh, being interviewed, uh, I think on MRN, saying that he's trying to learn from those guys to be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, it can't hurt, um, but uh, everything with about four to five laps to go, everything gets thrown out the window. That's the bad part. Um, nobody's going to push anybody especially this first race of the year because everybody wants to win the fir- this first race of the year. And, you know, just being the guy that's out in front is what you hope for, you know, but you know, who knows until <laughs> it actually happens, you know, hopefully nobody, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets banged up. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully Ryan's out there controlling that run. Now, obviously we know despite how qualifying goes and how the dual races ended up and the lineup shakes out, a couple laps into this thing, the lineup's going to be all jumbled together from people making runs and dipping to the back. Do you see the Penske guys being one of those teams that falls to the back of the race, or do you think that they're going to try to stay up front or shoot their way up front? Usually they seem to put them, try to get themselves all together first off, and once they get themselves all together, then no, they just, they're going to try to head for the front, and they let anything happen that's going to happen behind them. You know, the only time they really ever ever take a breather is individually if somebody gets a little too squirrely and then they kind of feel like they just need to catch their breath but if um if they can all get themselves lined up they'll go up right up through the field 
Alright, so that's pretty much what we're looking at, the race preview for the 63rd running of the Daytona 500. You can catch the race at 2.30 p.m. on Fox here in the U.S., Canada, everywhere else. <laughs> everywhere else, everyone around the world really is watching this race. So Steve, I think now's a good time to bring up our Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Now we did this, kicked it off last year for the first time. We got about 90 or so people involved into this league and things toward the end of it uh, got a little bit interesting. I know I was playing it, my wife was playing it, you're playing it, I have friends playing it, and tons of fellow Ryan Blaney and fans of even some other drivers kind of jumped into this fantasy league. So it's something that's been fun to keep up with week to week. Um, I've played fantasy sports and several other types of sports and never was able to keep up with it. But for some reason, joining this NASCAR league or creating this NASCAR league for Ryan Blaney fans, I was in there every week trying to make sure I'm setting my drivers up. Um, now, you've participated in this league. We've participated in leagues in the past. What do you find fun out of joining a fantasy NASCAR racing league? Well, they do a good job of um, making it easy. Just you know, press on this guy, click on that guy, put it together. Um, the only thing I end up doing wrong is, as the year goes on is I use up all the good guys right away. I don't save anybody for later in the year because you're only allowed to use a guy so many times, and I don't save my uh, certain guys for certain tracks and things like that. i got to start watching it a little bit differently and thinking that way, thinking like, well, this guy is better at this type of track or that type of track, or they always do well here or there. i got to start thinking that way now, save, saving a couple of those starts. Um, looks like they've kind of revamped the uh, the league a little bit, so it's not going to be as in-depth with worried about what, what happens at the end of the stages and stuff like that. It's just going to be picking winners mainly. Yeah, I definitely was surprised um, when, when we first got back into the app and taking a look around, one of the first things you said was like, hey, they don't have a slot here for qualifying. And I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense because qualifying is only going to happen at eight races this year. So they might have need to revamp that a little bit. And then we're looking further down the list, and you're right. Stages, stage winner predictions are gone. And now a lot of the things are focused on which uh, manufacturer is going to win, who's going to finish the highest from each manufacturer. And then I saw that extra thing in there. It was like which team was kind of the overall winner for the race too. So uh, a lot of that seemed a little bit interesting. So it's just a little bit different this year. But if you want to join the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, I'll give you this long uh, URL here. But you can also find the link on the Team Blaney Facebook page. It's also, I tweeted it out on the Team Blaney Twitter. But it's fantasygames.nascar.com slash live slash OG slash league slash team dash Blaney. You can go there. Uh, make sure you kind of already have a login and everything. Then you can join the league. And then we're going to keep up with this league throughout the year on the podcast. Uh, maybe give a little bit of insights on who we're going to pick uh, at least to maybe who we pick to win the race each week. I don't know if we would, maybe we'll give away our whole lineup. I'm not sure, but I don't know about you. I was excited to get into this. I don't have even have my lineup picked yet. Cause I wanted to wait till the end of the duels. Yeah. Now that's the other thing that's kind of cool about it is it, uh, without having to worry about qualifying and so forth, you just, you know, wait till Sunday morning, you know, look at your lineup, get it, make sure you get it in before the race starts. That's probably the way I'm going to do it from here on in just to kind of take a look, see where everybody's starting. And then, uh, then go ahead and make my picks and hopefully stay in front of your wife. Don't let her beat me this year. <laughs> she takes a lot of pride in uh, when she passed you last year in the league standings. So Steve, now you talked about taking a look at the qualifying order. or In this case, it'll be the draw order or the computer ratings order um, that you take that into account when you're picking drivers. Now me, I'm on racing reference all the time 
just checking Ryan's stats and sometimes going back through Dave's stats just for fun. But that's also one of the places where I kind of decide who I'm going to pick. But the app also kind of gives you uh, some other statistics and stuff where you can pick the drivers up. But is there any other secret sauce into how you select your lineup? I end up having a feeling more or less sometimes, especially like last year with them not having qualifying, just seeing how the teams handled that, that factor of not having qualifying, you know, two, three weeks in a row, how did a team do with this type of track or that type of track? And realize that, you know, like I said, the Penske guys were really good at making sure they had adjustability in their cars so that if they did start 12th, by the end of the first stage, they were up in the top 10. And then by the end of the second stage into the top five. So, you know, I just kind of look at the teams like that and how they're handling uh, not having practice, not having qualifying. So again, if you're inclined to do it, if you're looking for something fun to do, something that actually kind of keeps you interested in the races week to week, especially on maybe the week that we're heading to Richmond and there's nothing to cheer about, um, <laughs> kind of go ahead and, sit and set up some drivers and, and follow along on the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. They're going to nail Richmond this year. They're going to nail it. They're going <laughs> to nail the setup. He's going to be out there out in the front. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be positive every week. All right, Steve. So that was our first race preview podcast. Obviously, this one's a little bit more packed considering we had the clash to talk about and then we had qualifying to talk about, the duels to talk about. So the next few might be a little bit more compressed than this one. Do you have one final prediction for the winner of the Daytona 500 and where Ryan's going to finish or whether that's the same prediction? It's the same prediction. The 12 is a little bit better than the 11. 12 is better than 11 by one. I am still optimistic. I think Ryan is going to lead a bunch of laps in this year's Daytona 500. I don't think he's going to eke out that win again. I think he may actually come here in August and win that race, but I just don't think the Daytona 500 is in the cards this year, but he's going to keep it exciting. He's going to finish the race though. I think the 12 car is going to finish with a solid top five finish to kick off this season. I say I'm happy either way. Keep the equipment in one piece, start off the season, at least a good top five and get those points going. All right, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you'd like to learn about myself or my co-host Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we became fans of the Blaney racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter, at Team Blaney, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Team Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. Once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. For my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.